Welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber. I'm Bob Brookover. And I'm Matt Breen. Guys, uh, as we record this here, we are at the one-third mark of the exhibition schedule. Ten games down, and uh, uh, they play a 28-game exhibition schedule. And so let's start with what we know about the state of the center field race. We'll lead off with that. Um, it's changed a bit in the, in the past week since we were here. Adam Hazley has bowed out with a groin strain. He won't be ready for the start of the season. So that leaves Roman Quinn, Odubel Herrera, Scott Kingery, and maybe Mickey Moniak to compete for uh, this job. Guys, if you had to handicap it right now, who do you think's in the lead? Um, I think Odubel Herrera is in the lead. I I don't know if who's like in the lead at this moment, but I think he will be in the lead on April first. Like I I think he it's trending that way that he'll be starting in center field on April first. But there's a lot of time left, and Mickey Moniak can make a case. Roman Quinn had a good day today. He can make his case. Scott Kingery hasn't had a good spring, but like you said, it's only ten games, so there's so much time left to determine this, but I think the biggest like surprises are that Odubel Herrera and Mickey Moniak are legitimate contenders, where you thought Odubel was a legitimate contender to start a camp. You didn't know for sure. You didn't think Mickey Moniak was. And then now, they, no doubt about it, are legitimate contenders. And uh, the Hazley thing was a surprise. Obviously, him getting hurt, that, that's been a big takeaway. But I think those two having a legit case here is you know the biggest surprise. Odubel didn't have a particularly good day the other day. I think he struck out twice. Uh, and, but he's, he's had, he's had a lot of good days. Uh, I think if you're going to put Mickey Moniak in this race, uh, which, you know, Joe Girardi with his words has, uh, but I think if and you with your in, column, in reality, Bob. if you're going to put him in, what's that? You put him in with your column. I think that's what motivated him. Yeah, he wrote well, that column and then he's like taken off. Yeah. Well, I go to my comments. Joe Girardi said it, um, but I think uh, I, I think if he's going to legitimately be in this race, he's got to start being in beginning a game, starting games, and start facing pitchers you know that are going to be in the big leagues. Uh, you know, although his two home run game came against guys who were legitimate big league pitchers. I, the, the, uh, Reggie McClain was the right hander. Who was the the left-hander from the Cortez. Uh, I, I think we also got had big league experience. So two guys with big league experience. But you know, I think you got have to see him start a game, get three at bats. I think if you're going to do that, that's got to be the case. I would also agree that Odubel. I mean, I think Odubel has played the best of all of them. Uh, you know, as I've, I've written before, he also has the Best pedigree of all of them, you know, by far. He's the, he's the only one who's ever had an all-star season. And you could argue that for three years, he was one of the top seven, eight center fielders in the game from 15 to 17. Not so much since then. Uh, and, and obviously leaves in disgrace in 19 since we last saw him. But I, I think. You know, I'm not sure. I just don't know if the Phillies really want Odubel to win this job. I wonder about that. Um, 
You know, one of the interesting developments in the, since we last did this was Bryce Harper didn't really give him a ringing endorsement with his, his words. You know, he said, well, I'm not the maker, so I'm not here to judge that. But he, this, he was very, um, I wouldn't call his comments supportive of Odubel. So, um, it was a lot less than like what Aaron Nola said, how Aaron Nola said, you know, second chances and all this and really, Gave right. him that ringing endorsement. Bryce Harper was, you know, on one uh, opposite side of the spectrum. Right. Yeah, far less forgiving. Um, so, so, and I mean, an interesting question. And I'll throw this back to you guys. Throw back this back. I got in my um, in the in, in an email the other day that I used in the newsletter was, who's the best defensive center fielder of the bunch? Oh boy, Roman it's Quinn. A, it's a good question. Uh, I. I think it's probably Roman Quinn. I know he didn't have a great defensive year last year. Neither did Adam Hazley. I think Adam Hazley's pretty good out there when he's when he's healthy and out there. But you know the combination of speed and arm. Um, I know Quinn doesn't necessarily get great jumps sometimes. Saw the ball go over his head the other day in uh, Tampa. Um, the ball that Stanton hit where he broke the wrong way. You know, Quinn does this sometimes where he questions some, maybe sometimes the baseball instincts or, you know, the, is, you know, and that kind of thing. But I think tools wise, he's maybe the best. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize until Adam Hazley got hurt <laughs> how, um, it may have been truly his job to lose. I mean, he might have been in the best position of all of these guys by virtue of being on the 40 man roster already, being a natural center fielder. Um, being a guy who has upside, being a guy who probably um, hasn't hasn't reached his ceiling yet, hasn't fulfilled that upside yet. You know, I think Quinn and, and Kingery, in a lot of ways, have the same problem. They're both, you know, got a lot of speed. What you want them to do is make more contact. They don't make nearly enough contact. They don't walk enough. They don't get on base enough. And Joe Girardi has made that point on separate days after watching these guys play. Like, I want them to put the bat on the ball more because you see, when Roman Quinn hits a 30-foot tapper in front of the mound, he beats it out and he's got a hit. But when the next at-bat, when he waves at strike three, he gives himself no chance. So they need to make contact more. They need to put the ball in play more. They have the same problem. Um, you know, O'Dougal's still not on the 40-man roster. They're going to have a 40-man roster crunch. So they've got to find a way to get him on if he's going to win the job. You know, Moniak to me, and I'll tell you why he's super interesting. He's on the 40-man roster. Girardi keeps saying, well, if we bring him up, he has to play. Well, what's the alternative? He can't go to AAA to start the season and play. There is no AAA on April 1st. So you're going to send him to the alternate site to just sort of like go through the motions for however long it is before he really gets to play. If Hazley misses, let's say, at least two weeks of the season because he's going to have to get himself back up to speed. That's two weeks for Mickey Moniak to play. I mean, I don't see the problem with where's he going to play or how often is he going to play. If you give him the center field job, you can turn him loose and let him play. What's the problem? If Roman Quinn's not the starting center fielder, is he on the 40-man roster still? Well, he's out of options. I know. So it, it, you talk about a roster crunch. Is that a guy that gets DFA's? He either gets DFA'd or traded. He's a, you know, he's a guy you might be able to trade for, for something. That's and true. Yeah, look, I don't know look, how much look. you're going to get. Oh, uh, 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 this kind of speed. 
before, you know, and when you're talking, you're talking about it, his prime, in his prime, he was also a good defender back then, too. Yeah, he was. I mean, look, I like I like Roman Quinn as a fourth or fifth outfielder on my team, a fifth outfielder. You know, you need a guy like that who's going to come off the bench and can steal you a base or play some defense for you in the late innings. Let's not forget that, you know, there's a possibility that you're going to want Andrew McCutcheon out of the game late, depending on how he looks defensively. Um, there's a possibility that you're going to need to give him periodic days off. Um, so I don't mind having Roman Quinn as my last bench guy. The question is, uh, are you going to need 40 man spots to the point where, you know, you got to, you got to move him because you need his 40 man spot more than his, his active roster spot. Yeah. I mean, I think the answer, I, the answer to my question, in my opinion, is Odubel the best center fielder of all the Odubel 2015 to 2017 is the best center fielder of the bunch. Uh, at go getting the, going and getting the ball and, and you know, but I don't know if that guy still exists. He, so far, he can't. The, the early the, the early returns are that he might. It appears as if he might. Um, and Roman should be the best center fielder just based on pure speed a lot. But as you, you talked about, he doesn't always get the best reads. Um, but certainly covers more ground than anybody. Um, you know, Hazy played a really good center field in his, Rookie season and and I think Kingery, especially when you consider what was put on his plate in terms of having to play so many different positions, I think he's done a you know a, a pretty good job. I, I to be honest, I've never I'm so, so not sure I've ever seen Mickey Moniak play center field above Lakewood. I saw him play in Lakewood, um, and to, to be honest, I don't really remember him getting a lot of balls that game, if any at all. So I, I can't. I can't really opine on what kind of center fielder he is. Let me put this one to you before we move on. So if if Scott Kingery were, were the opening day center fielder, it's more or less the same opening day lineup as they had last year with some pieces in different places, right? Kingery's in center instead of second. Segura's at second instead of third. Really the difference is Alec Bohm in the lineup for Roman Quinn, who was the opening day center fielder last year. So I think there's it's reasonable to say that they don't mind having Scott Kingery in the opening day lineup per se, because they had him there last year. But is Scott Kingery more valuable to them as a, and I guess this is the age old Kingery question now since he made the team three years ago, is he more valuable to them as kind of a guy who can bounce around the field and play a bunch of different positions and spell guys and give guys a day off? Or do you like him more as the everyday guy at one position, in this case, center field? Let me call Gabe Kapler and ask him. <laughs> Well, we know the answer then. I think if he's hitting, he's valuable in center field every day. But if he's not hitting, then it's, he's not valuable as an everyday player, right? He's he's a bench player. So if he earns the center field job, he's going to have to earn it with his bat, and that means he's a valuable contributor. And he can, you know, play every if he if he's hitting, keep him in center field. Let him just play. You don't, you don't need to bounce him seven different positions when he's hitting. But if he's not hitting, then then his value comes from that he can spell almost everybody. Then in that case, I think I I I agree with you. It feels like Odubel is kind of the front runner right now, ten ten games in. But if that's the case with Kingery, and you know he's got to have 
he's going to have better days than he had a couple of days ago in Dunedin where he went over three with three strikeouts on about 12 pitches. But, you know, as long as that's not the rest of his spring, if, if he's okay, then I think, I think he's got to be your guy. He's got to run him out there until he loses the job because he was an everyday player for you at this time last year. We all agree last year was you got to throw it out for him because he had COVID and because he was never healthy and all of that. He gets a mulligan. He, as much as anybody, gets a mulligan for last year. If he's all right in spring training, I, I think he's got to be your guy in center field until he's no longer your guy anymore. And then you have Oduble waiting in the wings at the alternate side or in AAA, and he can come up. So that's still is how it feels to me. I don't know if that's what the reality is right now, though. That's the, the one good thing about like Oduble's roster spot is that you don't need to make a decision on April 1st about him. He can... You know, just like you said, just exist in Allentown. He doesn't need to pass through waivers or anything like that. You, you already did that. So maybe that is the best way to go about it is to see, let Scott Kingery have a chance, let Oduble play a little bit in Allentown, earn his way up. Maybe that's a better way to sell it to, to the public that you, you did, you, you said a year ago he was going to have to earn it. He's never played in the minor league since he's been suspended. So. Maybe you could say that he earned it by staying at the alternate site for a couple of weeks, training there, and then yeah, you're built in baseball excuses that he needs the at bats, he needs the rest. Yes, exactly. And maybe that's the way to do it. Well, let's move on and go around the horn now, and let's talk about the bullpen. Um, we <laughs> we got a chance to see these guys sort of turn loose last Friday. They ran out six of their. Uh, guys who are projected to be in the bullpen from Archie Bradley to Hector Neris to Jose Alvarado to Connor Brogdon, Sam Coonrod. I forget who the last one was. I think it was Jojo Romero and they looked really great. And it was one day and it was against the traveling pirates. And if you gave me a hundred chances, I couldn't name three guys in that traveling pirates lineup, but they looked really good. There was a lot of power there. There was a lot of uh, swing and miss there. Uh, we've gotten to see these guys. I think most of them now at least once more since then, and for the most part, they've all been pretty good. Alvarado's really stood out, I think. Are you buying this bullpen yet? Um, are you are you in on this bullpen being, I don't want to say better than last year, because they have to be, can't be worse, but are you buying them as a, I don't know, let's call it a top half of the National League bullpen? I, I'd have to see, you know, take a closer look at the rest of the bullpens in the National League to say it's a top half and and also have to see it's got to be done in the regular season for a, a, a decent amount of time before I'm going to declare anything about the bullpen. Um, but, but you certainly, you, you can only, you can only do what's in front of you and what's been put in front of this bullpen so far in spring training. They've, they've passed that test. They've, they've looked good. Uh, you know, the young guys have looked good. The, the veterans they've brought in to look good. The fact that, you know, you got a Kinsler to compliment a, uh, Alvarado and a Bradley and you've got left and you've got right. I mean, it, it all looks very good right now. Um, you know, it, it was interesting because I asked Joe Girardi today about his bench last year and Joe reverted to, well, <laughs> it was more about not being able to finish games. Uh, so, it, it 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 was a it was a t- tell that you know where Joe feels like last season was lost and and it, because it was uh, more than any other place. I mean I I thought they were a top heavy team in terms of talent, but 
even with that, if they had some kind of competency in the bullpen, you know, they were a playoff team last year. And it certainly looks right now like they have a chance to, at the very least, be a competent bullpen. Yeah, like I'm with Bob that I don't – you can't say how good they're going to be, but the velocity is real. You know, and that's – you haven't seen that. You didn't see velocity last year. I've never seen, you know, in my five, six, six years covering the team, I've never seen velocity like this out of the bullpen. I remember Jimmy Cordero. Remember him, Bob? He was a camp prospect, big prospect, big arm. And it was like a novelty act that Jimmy Cordero is throwing a bullpen today. And you wanted to go watch it because he could, he could reach a hundred. And it was like, you just wanted to see what, what did that look like? That, that's got to be really cool to see a guy throw a hundred. And now it's like, there's like a handful of guys that throw 98 to 100. It's just like how different times are. And, and and that's what you need to compete. You can't compete with a bullpen like they try to compete with last year, guys in the low 90s. You need, you're going up against these teams where I, they I did, have. I did. What's that, Bob? I did find it interesting. I said I did find it interesting that David Phelps in his first appearance against the Phillies pitched a perfect inning and struck out too. That's true. <laughs> you're right. Like and it, well, and you just know, but you just know all those guys. They know, all had like, their worst career years, but there also was there, not an, in, an emphasis on velocity, and I think you need them. There, there, there wasn't, but there, it's just I'm just making the point that, as Scott said at the opening of this sec, rounding to second base. Um, no, we're around the horn. Whatever, one, one, one of those things that uh, maybe that, by now we're getting close. Maybe we're second and third now. It can't be worse. You could have brought all those guys back, and it couldn't be worse. But anyway, yeah. So, you know, but I'm on the point of velocity, Tony Watson throws 90, and he right. makes it work. So it's good that you. It's not like that every single guy is throwing 98, and it's going to go haywire. It's nice to have a mix. Tony Watson comes out throwing low 90 sidearm left-hander, and Jose Alvarado throws 99. So it's it's nice to have that mix, and I think you need that as well. Yeah, no, no question. Two things stood out to me and will continue to, I think, just because we didn't see them last year, variety and velocity. So, like you just said, Matt, I mean, Alvarado is a much different looking lefty than Watson, who's a much different looking lefty than Romero. You've got, um, you've got Neris who throws the split. You've got Bradley who throws a curveball. You've got, you know, um, uh, Brogdon who, you know, who's got his own thing going and, and also has a bit of a different look in terms of his arm slot and all that. So you have a lot of variety and then you do have velocity. And I was looking this up for our extra innings newsletter uh, earlier this week. Matt, I think since you've been on the, been covering the team, I think I took it back to 16, maybe 15. The Phillies have had really started in 15. So don't shortchange me. Okay, so so after your first year, because you had so you had Ken Giles for a year, is that is that yeah, right? Yeah, there we go. He he threw under. He was really their last real flamethrower uh, kind of guy. So starting in sixteen, the year after Ken AG after Giles, they've had they've had a total of two pitchers throw a total of I believe it's seven hundred mile per hour plus pitches. Sir Anthony Dominguez threw six of them. And Luis Garcia threw one, which I wonder if it was a faulty radar gun reading. Wow. One. That's it. So two pitchers throw a total of 700-plus mile-per-hour pitches. The only teams that I found, teams that had a collective fewer pitches of 100 or more, the Brewers have six, 
The Orioles have five. Diamondbacks have one. The Cleveland Indians have not thrown a single pitch at 100 miles an hour in the last five years. That's it. So the Phillies are way down there in terms of, like, guys who can bring it. And, and, and of course, Cleveland has one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. So a lot, what, what does that mean, right? So throw, throw, take your radar gun and stick it. But, like, you know, Jose Alvarado has had 35, I believe it is, 100-plus-mile-per-hour pitches in his career. He He's going to do this. You know, he's going to get it up there. Uh, Kunrad's going to get it up there. Um, so they have this now, and they didn't have this before, and it's going to look different. We need to see a lot more of it. We're all in agreement on that. But, you know, I, I do think that they have the makings of a better bullpen. And the question just is going to be command and consistency. Like, can they, can they get ahead of hitters and can they do it over, over and over and over again? So. And, and how they make the bullpen. It's going to be interesting to see who the eight are or if it's nine. Because right now, like you, you, when you go through the list, you have more than eight. You do. So who's, and who's not in that? And if Spencer Howard's in it, it's going to be. Well, it's a great step for this decision, but I think the bullpen is going to be, you know, even harder decision to make. Before you, right. before you, before you segue, Scott, I have to just say that when you went to after Giles, to me, after Giles is Montgomery. <laughs> I can't. Oh, nice. I like that. That's like the real that. after Giles. That's, anyway, that's come on, segue, segue. Here we yeah. go. The other mm-hmm. child. So now we're rounding third, and uh, we'll talk about a guy who might be in the bullpen, might be in the rotation. Might not be in the organization on opening day, and that's Vince Velasquez. Um, if you had to take door A, door B, or door C, bullpen, rotation, somewhere else, what are you picking? I, I, I'm on record with this, so I might as well go first because I wrote a whole column about it. I would see if he can make it in the bullpen first. I mean, I looked at a bunch of numbers, crunched a bunch of numbers with uh, Vince the other day, and, you know, the reality is he's never really – They've never really conducted the experiment to see if he could be a successful bullpen guy. Um, you know, and the only time he ever had extended time was in 2019. He made nine straight relief appearances. And then I think an injury to Jared Eichhoff, uh, sent him back into the rotation for the rest of the season where he had like a five something ERA. But, and he did not start well in that stretch in the bullpen, but when he finally, at the end of that stretch, his last five relief appearances, threw five innings, struck out seven, walked one, didn't allow a run, uh, looked really good out of the pen, and then he was back in the rotation. We, we've, you know, the, the notion that Vince Velasquez should pitch in, out of the bullpen has been being kicked around for at least three or four years, if not longer. Um, and now's the time. It, the rotation is not the answer, I don't think. Um, we, we've we've seen enough of sample size to know that that's not the answer. Even though Vince wants that to be the answer for him, I think. Um, so I just think it's time, even before you trade him, see if you know it's another big velocity arm still. And if you if all he has to do is go out and throw two pitches for one inning, maybe he's effective. Maybe that's his future. I. I agree that he never, even though he's been in the bullpen, he, it never felt like he was in the bullpen. It felt like he was a starter in the bullpen, just waiting for Jared Eichhoff injury or something else to happen, and then he was back in the rotation. But I don't think you have the luxury. Like, I was just saying, there's too many arms already 
to that you're trying to fit in that bullpen. I don't think you have the luxury to try try it out. I, I, there's almost like you have no so many you have eight known commodities in my mind that are better fits for the bullpen than Vince Velasquez is. So I, I think it's you know I would love to trade him, and I, I think he could benefit from that. Maybe he can go start somewhere else and you know have a fresh outlook and be a starting pitcher somewhere and maybe it works somewhere else I just think you know I I would be really surprised if you know he goes to the bullpen and he does become like a legitimate arm out there I think there's just too many other options right now in that bullpen for the Phillies to go to and I I, yeah I don't think he's going to be in the rotation because you went out and you got Chase Anderson and Matt Moore plus you have Spencer Howard so there's just not not a lot there, but maybe you're going to need more than five starters. We talk about that all the time, but I, you can't get him to the alternate site. You can't option him. So I think it's just the easiest thing is to move him and see, see maybe somebody gives you something. There's too many good relievers angles just blowing my mind. But um, if you like, I'm looking at it the other day, and it's like there's, what you're saying. Not, that, not that they're great, but it's like. No, you're not putting, there's not slop. Like usually at the end of camp when you're filling out the roster, it's like, all right, well, this guy, he's, he's, this is seven and eight, you know, this, this slop. But really, there's a legitimate eight, there's eight legitimate guys that, that are belong in the bullpen. It's not inconceivable that you couldn't get, get Velasquez to the minors too, because he's making four million dollars. And if he doesn't have a successful spring, um, you know, there's not going to be, a lot of teams looking to pick up the guy who's making four million. You know, maybe after he clears waivers, you pick him up and you you pay him nothing. But I mean, that's that's a possibility. But but if he's not going well, that that might not even happen. I mean, they, yeah, I don't think I don't think he's clear. I think I think someone would the arm on that arm. I, yeah. I even for four million dollars, when you have him eat innings too for you somewhere else, exactly yeah. and. Look, this was a guy who back in November, early December, when they had to decide on tenders and non-tenders, I think they looked around. I think they tried, and I think they gauged the interest, and I think there was interest. I just don't think they got any offers that they liked. So what they did was they tendered him, figuring that they were probably going to need it, whether they needed him as one of their starting five or depth behind that, and I still think they need him as starter depth. I really do. But in listening to him yesterday, and we've all covered him now for a while, and I just, you know, I heard a guy who sounds like he's got to get out of here. He needs a change of scenery. He's been jerked around so much. Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? He's never, as, as you guys have said, even when they've moved him to the bullpen, it was like one foot in and one foot out waiting for that next opportunity to start, which inevitably came around, which is why you need him as a depth starter, because you know you're going to need that depth, I just think it's got to be somewhere else. You've come to kind of almost a point of no return with Vince Velasquez. If he's not one of your top five, he doesn't know what he is. You don't really know what he is. or You, you know, what you think he is doesn't line up with how he thinks he is. He's just got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go try to pitch somewhere else. And you need that roster spot on the 40-man roster for Brandon Kinsler or Tony Watson or someone who's going to help you in a more clear and direct way. The problem that they run into is that if you move him out of the organization, you've got five starters, Spencer Howard. Who's your number seven at that point? Ramon Rosso? You know, like, 
uh, Adonis Medina. Like, they're, they just don't have enough <laughs> major league ready starters in AAA who are appealing. Um, you know, you're, you're going to move Vince Velasquez and you're going to miss that depth. Um, yeah, I, I, the way around that, and, and Matt, who, excuse me, being David Phelps' agent, I, I'm going to say he's Spencer Howard's agent. Uh, the way around that is to, is, is to option Spencer Howard to the, to the alternate site to start the season. And it's not ideal. And, you know, that allows you to keep Velasquez as pitching depth that way. Um, Bob, what do you want to do? You want to win games? You want to ex- do experiments? Or, or is are we are we sure Spencer Howard's the next great pitcher in baseball history? I'm his agent, so I, I better. <laughs> Bob, sending Howard out might help you keep Velasquez on the active roster, but you 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 still need 40 man roster spots, you know. And and Vince Velasquez would solve that problem if you moved him, you know. If you moved him and you got like a mid-level prospect in return who's not on your, who's not going to be on your 40 man you, you you've got a 40 man spot and you you need three of them maybe four of them before the my, end of spring training my my study for next week is the 40 man roster i, I well I, i've always felt this way about 40 man rosters is there's i for most teams there's two or three guys at the bottom of those rosters where that the team at least it's my opinion nothing more that the team always has loved more than I've loved the, the people at the bottom of the roster. Well, look, there's, there's a roster crunch you. every year. And, like, if you go back to, like, I remember writing about the roster crunch in, like, 2018. And it's like, if you go back now to that, it would be like, yeah, there was no roster crunch. There was definitely a couple of spots that we were overvaluing at the time. You know, they they put – I looked at this last night. They've protected 10 – in the last two years total, uh, they've put 10 guys on their – 40 man to protect them from the rule five draft. I'm trying to think back now of how many of the 10 are still there, but like there are some like Christopher Sanchez, anyone, or, you know, like, uh, you know, there, there were a few and it was like, well, you, you could probably, you know, DFA the guy and he's not going to get claimed. I mean, yeah. there was no minor league season last year either. So it's not like the team could go, Hey, that guy was lights out in double A last year. I'm going to claim him. So, you might be able to trim some by just, you know, with the, with those guys, but I don't know if you can accomplish three or four spots with just those guys. Maybe you can. You know, maybe Mauricio Yovera would would slip out, you know, and, and not get claimed. Or if he did, so be it. Um, but, you know, I, so maybe there's more to be trimmed there than I think. But I think you're going to need 40-man spots. So, and if Vince Velasquez is, is, you know, look, you know, if there's, if he's got to go somewhere else to get the most out of him, then, you know, he doesn't owe the Phillies anything at this point. They've given him a lot of chances and a lot of tries and it just hasn't worked out. Like he said the other day, right? Like bleep happens, you know, I mean, it didn't work out. So, um, we'll see. We'll see. We got three weeks. We're about to bring it on home. Yes. Let's bring it on home. Let's clear the bases with some sad news this week. Some sad news this week. Former Phillies reliever Real Cormier passed away. Uh, cancer. He was 53. I Um, I covered him for one year in 2006. Bob, you covered him for a few. I covered um, two years. I covered the front of his career. 
Right, the front of his Phillies career. I, I, my, my memory is just of a, of a guy who was a pretty down-to-earth, you know, normal guy. Like, I was a, I was a 29, going on 30-year-old beat writer for the first time in the major leagues, and it was nice to have a guy like that who you could sort of go to his locker and have a normal conversation with um, on a team with, you know, a team with a lot of good guys. A lot of the 08 team wound up, uh, coming out of that 06-ish group, but like, you know, you couldn't go, like, Jimmy Rollins is a great guy, but you couldn't go to Jimmy Rollins' locker and just, you know, you know, say, hey, how you doing? Shoot, you know, shoot the crap with them and whatever. I mean, it was, Cormier, you could. Um, Canadian loved hockey, as I recall, and you could just kind of like, you know, he was a normal, everyday guy, and that was my memory of, of him from one year of covering him. Real didn't have great years when I was there. Uh, but everybody I know on the beat, who, who's, because uh, I left after 2002 to cover the Eagles in 2003, and everybody who I knew who covered the team and covered Rao from 03 to 06, you know, covered the duration of his career, Todd Lecky and Jim Salisbury, uh, they just raved about what kind of guy he was and, um, just, just, you know, I had no idea when that, when that popped up on my screen the other day, it just floored me. I had no idea that he was sick. Uh, I guess, you know, some people obviously did, but it just, it just floored me. The 53 year old guy who, um, you know, who, who had everything ahead of him in, in terms of life after baseball and just, just like that, you're gone. It's, you know, and, you know, how many of those people, how, how many good people, baseball people, have we lost, you know, in addition to this pandemic, just some great, you know, legendary baseball players and just great people who played the game. We've lost so many in the last year since this pandemic hit. Ten Hall of Famers, I think, is the number now. I think it's ten since uh, last uh, March. And, you know, the Phillies family, too, right? I mean, like, I think on opening day we're going to have – Probably some moments of silence and some uh, and some remembrances of people like Tony Taylor and of course Dick Allen uh, who passed away this year and, and the Phillies will have a patch right and the Phillies will have a patch on their uniforms Matt right uh, to yeah. remember Dick Allen. Yeah, I think it's the right thing to do. I'm surprised that it kind of they even like had to talk about it. It was almost a slam dunk. You have. That's what teams do when they when a Hall of Famer dies, and which is Dick Allen probably is going to become a Hall of Famer at the end of the year. But the Phillies already retired his number, so they're treating him as if he's a Hall of Famer. So you put the patch on your jersey, and I'm glad they're doing it. I think it's the right thing to do, and for his Hall of Fame case, it might create some momentum where 162 nights the Phillies are going to play with a patch on their shoulder, and you know, maybe the the opposing broadcasters are talking about it. it. Gives them something to talk about, or it gives fans to see, like, you know, what's that 15, or what's that, you know, if it's DA, what does that mean? Oh, Dick Allen, and then, you know, it keeps him on people's mouths, and it keeps people, it keeps him in their in their minds for this year, where you know his Hall of Fame vote should have already happened. So now you postponed his vote by a year. He already, he died in December. It's a, it's a long time. Maybe, you know, the momentum kind of fades away, but I think the patch keeps that momentum going. And it's the momentum they wanted to get by retiring his number last summer. Now you're almost retiring his number again by wearing the patch, by keeping him in the forefront. I think, and I I think, think that's a good thing. 
I think it's a great point, Matt, and especially with Dick Allen, because like a Hank Aaron, people know, uh, you know, they're Hall of Famers already. People know. I don't think outside of Philadelphia, a lot of people know, uh, you know, maybe in Chicago where he got won an MVP with the White Sox. Uh, but in, in most baseball cities, a lot of baseball cities, especially now that we're pretty far on from the Dick Allen era of baseball, I don't think a lot of people know the Dick Allen story. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, Mike Tolan's been trying to tell that Dick Allen story in a biography and a 30 for 30 type thing. I don't know if that's what it'll be, but that kind of documentary. I hope that story gets told. And, and like you said, I hope, you know, visiting broadcasters all year long, Bring up, you know, many of them are old enough, certainly, to remember Dick Allen, and they they can just talk about, hey, this is who Dick Allen was. I think that's a really cool thing. I agree. Oh, I guarantee it comes up in every in every visiting broadcast throughout the course of the year. They'll mention what the patch signifies on the Phillies uniform, and I do think it's great that it will keep him as part of the conversation throughout the year. It's almost like he'll be, you know part of the team, so to speak, you know, they'll, they'll talk about, you know, Bryce Harper and how he's playing and uh, patches for Dick Allen, and they'll probably put up his numbers versus other Hall of Famers and other great players, and, um, you know, again, they're trying to get a small committee of people to vote for him, but maybe it's the motivation or, you know, maybe it's the push that, that they finally need, so. His that numbers are truly absurd. They like, are. If you look at it, it's absolutely ridiculous for that, like, Eight-year stretch, his OPS plus is just—it's insane. Like, an OPS plus is a great metric because it's comparing you to league average. So there's no twist in it, or it, you know, really gives you of what this guy was in his error. And it's like, if that—if he was around today, it would be you know a Bryce Harper type contract when he went to free agency. It's just you know, if anybody's to listen, you go to his baseball reference page and just look at it, and it's. It's, his stats are probably better than, than, you, than you thought. Without a doubt. So that does it for, uh, for us this week. Uh, please, uh, spring training will be continuing, so please keep checking out uh, all your Phillies coverage at, Philadelphia Inquirer, at the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Philadelphia Daily News, inquirer.com, the podcast, the newsletter, everything else that we've got going on on our platform, and uh, we will be back next week talk about uh, new developments in the center field race and the bullpen everything else. So for Bob Brookover, for Matt Breen, I'm Scott Lauber. See you next week.